right. Um, what I want to talk to you about tonight will have a title on the website, which I won't use tonight just for the sake of... Uh, some people might find it a little too strong, but that's okay. We're dealing with the wider world when we get on there. And also what I want to talk about, um, I have to confess, um, in, in wrestling with this, I don't know how much of it is me talking to me and how much of it is me talking to you. Uh, but I figured as we talk about it, we'll get something from it anyway. Um, at the core of what I want to talk to you about comes from my own... Um, desire to understand where I am in life at, at this point in time and what it is that, that God the divine wants of me and what it is therefore in that cross connection he wants of this community of people of which we're all, we're all involved and, um, and so I want to talk to you out of a story from, from the book of Acts which is the record of how the early emerging church began to spread out uh, after the death of Jesus, and of course, the, what we understand as the gospel began to touch the four corners of the earth. Um, I, I find personal similarities um, with the story I'm going to share with you, and I'll explain why in a moment. Um, but I want to say to some of you as well who are quite sharp, there's a story within the story that I'm not going to particularly talk about the story within the story, but some of you will pick up and say, isn't that talking about? But I don't want to get into that debate tonight, but we are more than, more than willing to enter that debate. And if some of you say, what debate is that? And you don't guess from here, then don't worry about it, okay? Um, so I want to talk to you from, from the book of Acts, chapter 8. It's part of the narrative of the developing spread of the message of Jesus that, that I've told you before, that the people then weren't called Christian, they were known as the people of the way. Uh, and I rather like that because um, they had understood that following Jesus was all about a way to live. It was all about a direction in which you live. Now, yet yeah, heaven was part of that, but Jesus never came to talk to us about what happens when you die. He came to talk to us about what's happening because you're already dead while you're living. And his message was, I want you to come alive now, but also coming alive now means you'll stay alive, okay? So when you breathe your last and you die, you'll stay alive, okay? So, so, so that context of heaven is real and it's wonderful and we have a hope beyond the grave and Jesus secured that when he rose from the dead, he made sure that we understood we have a hope beyond the grave, that death cannot hold us down. Um, now as to the extent of the context of the wonder of that, I think it's bigger than I was taught that it was, but, but just get it anyway, just accept it anyway. So in, in these verses I want to read to you in Acts chapter 8, as I've said, is I, I see so much myself and, and where I am in life and where I've come these last few years and want us just to examine something here that I think will help us. So in verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered, because the church was emerging, there started to be some uh, trouble, um, and a lot of the trouble was, was not initiated by 
the Roman occupying force, it was actually a lot of it initiated by the religious crowd because the religious crowd always hate it when you won't play their game. And I know that because, because when I was more religious than I am now, I hated it if you wouldn't play my game. I didn't like it. Uh, some people we've gone a little, think we've gone a little soft in the head that we're not forceful enough. And, um, but if we've passed from death to life and all the judgment has passed upon the sacrifice of God's son Jesus, then, then uh, there has to be a softness to where we are. And, and it kind of puts the onus not on me to tell you, how you what you should think. The onus comes back on you from me teaching how you should think to make some decisions. And then that's, you know... I can't do a lot about that except help you within it. So, so a lot of what's happening here, and you'll see when I talk about the next thing, the root of the problem often locates in our need to be religious and to force our point. Now, in case you're sat there thinking, well, that doesn't include me because I'm an atheist. You're a religious atheist. Atheism is a religion. It has all the criteria of any religion in the world. It attracts people to a core message, invites them to give and be part of a community. It's a religion. Just be honest about it. It's just, if you are atheist, that's your preferred religion. So that's fine. You know, we talk about it, it's fine, okay? So, in, in verse 4 of this Acts chapter 8, it says, those who had been scattered... Preached the word everywhere they went, because not because they'd been to some seminary that says he has seven points to win the world to Jesus. Okay? They did it because of a passion in their heart. Whatever was the message that they received, and I think I know a little of what that message was, it so filled them with passion that nobody had to say, okay, let's organize this into a missions group, and then we're going to fulfill these rules and press this doctrine. They just scattered and they just talked about what was the passion of their hearts, which was the real God of the Bible, the Abba, the Father of Jesus, and the Jesus who came in the flesh, and, and that's why we do what we do, that's why I do what I do, Okay? It comes out of the passion of the heart. So, so everywhere they went, they couldn't shut up. Now, a guy called Philip, who'd become part of this group, he finished up going down to a city in a place called Samaria and proclaimed the message of Christ there. Now, um, Samaria was a region of Israel, Judea at that time that... Um, it has some similarities, not total similarities, but some similarities to the, to the Jew and Palestinian tensions now. Uh, the, the, the Samaritans were born in Judea, in Israel, but the Jews considered them to be impure because they were descendants of, of mixed-race Jews, Jews who had, who had married into uh, foreign occupying people who, in their belief system, they shouldn't have done. So, so the Samaritans were despised. The Jews had very little to do with the Samaritans. Um, there's some wonderful stories about that, which I haven't got time to say, because I don't want to keep you too long. But Philip finished up kind of in the Samaritan village. Let's call it the Palestinian area. And he's, he's going great, because he's just full of the passion of what he's got. The, the wonderful thing is, when... When you get full of the passion of Jesus in the flesh coming to change our world, your message is not based on what people shouldn't do or what people shouldn't be, right? 
So he wasn't in there saying, your religion is wrong, my religion is right. He just said, I met somebody, his name's Jesus, he's amazing, he's revealed the Father's heart to us, and I just want to talk about that. So, so these guys who went out then, it wasn't about what they were against, it was about what they're for. So one of the spirits that we try to engage in in this house is that it's not about what we're against, it's about what we're for, okay? That's where the passion is. Anyway, so Philip finishes up down there, and it's going really well. Uh, I mean, people are listening to the message. He's got people following. They're coming along. He's building a nice community, and uh, he's quite happy. Uh, and I know that feeling because I've been there, right? Now, of course, for Philip to go to Samaria was like he, he, was, he, was, he was on the fringe of things, for a great part of my life, I've been on the fringe of things, pushing the boundaries, uh, trying to engage in and talk about and do stuff that are on the edge that some people would be uncomfortable with because it's not church as we know it. So I feel a little bit like Philip that, you know, he's, he's feeling quite proud of himself. He's out among the Samaritans. He's pushing the boundaries. He's, as Chris talked about last week, he's, he's taking the roof off. He's, he's removing the ceiling to belief. He's freeing things up. And then lo and behold, in the comfort of all that's going on, it says an angel of the Lord in verse 26 said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So in an instant, all of a sudden, this guy who thinks he's on the edge, he's pushing the boundaries, he's working with the Samaritans, it's really God says, I want you to go further. In fact, where I'm going to take you is going to be quite lonely because you're going out into the Gaza desert. Now, of course, the argument can be, but God, things are going really well here. I like the way church is. But I've discovered much often to my pain, that arguing with God only ever ends up really with one winner in all reality. And that's not because God's a bully. Uh, it's because God so has our, our be his, his best intentions for us at heart that he finds ways to kind of help us get to where he can bless us. The story of Jonah would be a good example of that. God even helps him by getting him thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish. Not because God's saying, Jonah, I hate you. I'm going to get my own back. It's like, okay, if I have to get a fish to puke you up on the shore of where you're supposed to be, I'll do that. I can do that. So in all of it, there's this kindness, this love at work in our lives, even when we are resistant. So, so, so Philip had to leave what he had become familiar with and go somewhere else. I feel like that. If you feel like that, I feel like that more. I feel flip, you know, we had our little Samaria thing going here. We were pushing the edge and out on the boundaries and unconventional. And, and then along come you, God, and you say, okay, I want you to go further. Because what Philip was about to encounter would change the course of his life. But not only would it change the course of his life, this chance encounter would change the thoughts of millions of people in time to come and is part of changing our thoughts tonight, but it would also release the gospel into the whole of the African continent. So he, he does what God says and he goes down and, and verse 27, he started out and on his way he meets a, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, who was the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet in the Bible. 
And the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, there are several things I find fascinating here. Right? Here's little me. Okay? I'm in Samaria, and I have to go out into the desert. And then here's our Ethiopian friend who is on his way in a chariot from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia, and somehow it has to be accurate enough for, for these two lines to, to intersect. I've always found that fascinating. I'm on foot, he's in his chariot. T -t the accuracy of those two lines intersecting, as you think about it, he's in his chariot, you arrive five minutes too early, and you walk past the meeting point. You arrive five minutes too late, it's gone. So in all of this, there is, there is something bigger and mysterious often about the way God is working in our lives. That It's not spooky, but it is amazing, and it is a mystery, and we don't appreciate it. And some of you have got the foolish notion tonight that everything that happens to you is just by chance. Now, do I believe that God controls our lives? Absolutely not. Not in the slightest way at all. God is not in control of the world. If he is, he's doing an awful job. If he is, it's rubbish at what he does, if he's in control. What I do know is if when you come from God, the Greco-Roman political, governmental uh, emperor head, and bringing down to father the relational, loving, helpful friend, you realize that God's involvement in our life is not in a domineering way, but it is in an engineering way. That God is always engineering situations so you'll hear what you need to hear and know what you need to know so that at the end you can make a decision, but you'll never be able to say, God, you didn't turn up for me. You didn't say anything to me. You didn't show me anything because he's doing it even right now. Doing it right here, right now. So, so this is the wonder of God. Philip and this guy meet. And um, this is quite an issue because this guy is an Ethiopian and is a eunuch. Now, and he's just returning from having gone to worship at the feast at Jerusalem. Now, we need to talk about this for a moment because it's very important. Um, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated. Now, because I realize that um, language and understanding doesn't always relate to some people, you realize you use the word now and people say, I didn't know what you meant. Okay? Here's what it meant. His penis and his testicles had been removed. Okay? Is that clear enough? Okay? His penis and his testicles had been removed. Okay? And he is a coffee-colored, dark-skinned man of color okay? from Ethiopia. Now what you need to understand is this guy's been down to Jerusalem hoping to worship. Now, there are several theories here. One is that because uh, the Ethiopian queen was quite close to the, 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 the Jewish ruling authorities in Israel, that uh, he may have been on a political mission as an ambassador. But... Um, the other option is that he'd gone to worship. He didn't say he'd gone to do political stuff. He'd gone to worship. So when you see this story further on, there's something in this guy that's saying, is there a God? If there is a God, what's he like? 
Who is this God? Where do I find this God? The kind of question that all of us are asking, not necessarily with those words, but it's the quest of life. It's the search of life to find that, mm, that something. So, you've got to understand something else as well, that where we find it quite shocking that some guy had, had his penis and testicles cut off, it wasn't as uncommon then as you would deem it to be. And uh, it was done very much for a purpose, which was that if you had no bits, right, you were the perfect person to look after the king's harem, right? You were the person to look after the king's wives because you have no bits. You ain't going to do anything. You're not going to cheat on the king. The girls are safe with you because you've got no bits, okay? And that's literally part of it. Also, they would castrate these people because they figured if we castrate them, they'll never have a family. Therefore, because they'll never have a family, they don't have the ties, the call, the commitments, the demands, and the temptations of family life. So they would live in the palace, so there were no pressures about who's going to pay your bills. Your bills were paid, you lived in the palace. So they were often in charge of the treasury, okay? Because they figured we're pretty safe with these guys because their whole life now is absorbed in serving the king because there's nowhere else to go. This was the kind of, kind of thing that was, that was going on there. So this guy's in, in that position when, when, when Philip meets him. Now, here's the other problem. He's been down to Jerusalem. He's not a Jew. If you read the Old Testament, not through rose-tinted spectacles, you will have to acknowledge that there were aspects of the Jewish legal system and belief system that had a measure of cruelty to them in the context of discrimination. Now, we have to answer a question in that. Is that because God is cruel and discriminatory? Or is it that in that process that we talked about God engineering things to try and get us to listen and to see that God wanted to show people that if you live by those kind of rule systems, you will always finish up judgmental, you will finish up partial, you will finish up with an ego and full of pride. You will finish up with a them and us system. You will finish up being discriminatory against women, against, against other races, against people's sexuality, against everything, because that's what religion in that shape does. So my personal belief is that a lot of that stuff you read in the Old Testament is not God saying this is how you should live. It's God saying, give that a try and let me know how it works for you. Because I want you to see that if you try to live by those kind of laws, you will never experience the grace that I'm trying to bring you that is bigger than any of those laws. So we've got, we've got a situation here where they had at the temple what was called the court of the Gentiles. So you and I, because we weren't Jewish, we weren't allowed into the main thing. We weren't allowed anywhere near the main thing. We had to go, we could get in the court of the Gentiles. Oh, how, how generous. How generous. See, for me, that's not kindness. That's just finding a way to emphasize the difference between us and you. We'll build you a court and you can come in there and that will just show you your place, right? You can't come in. You're an outsider. You can't belong. Now, 
I have to say with great sadness that the way we have structured sometimes church life still has a court of the Gentiles, so to speak. Uh, a whole idea where people who just haven't said the magic words or done the right thing are actually they, they kind of somehow held in this imaginary court of the Gentiles, which simply emphasizes we're in, you're out. We've got it, you haven't. We know you don't. So if you know anything about the message of Jesus, you realize that he started to dismantle that with great vigor and great passion. Uh, the problem is that the church has, as it got older from the time of Jesus, tried to, tried to rebuild those dividing lines and separations. And uh, often said when Jesus died and the, the, the curtain in the temple that kept people out of the Holy of Holies, the Bible says was torn in two. The church has spent the last 2,000 years trying to stitch it up again. You've got to stay out, we're in. So, so because we, we struggle with this, with this, um, this breadth of wonderful um, arbitrary acceptance that seems to flow from the heart of the Father when you read the Bible through a, a certain lens. So, he's been to worship and they won't let him in. Why won't they let him in? The color of his skin and uh, the nationality that he holds. But there's also another problem because there is in the Bible some instruction in, the, in Judaism that uh, you can find in Deuteronomy chapter 23 that says these words, and I'll just be, it's in the, you can read it in the NIV, any Bible you like, but it says the words that no man who has lost his penis or whose testicles have been crushed or removed can ever enter into the presence of the Lord. And such a one must be cast out. He can never hold an office. He can never be recognized. He must be despised. He must be ejected. So do you get the picture now? But God, who we would say, well, that's God's keeping his house pure. Okay, then you have to explain to me why God sent Philip to a guy who, not by his own fault, is the victim of all these excluding elements in his life, but God says to Philip, okay, Philip, what you're doing in the church is fantastic. I love it. It's brilliant. But I need you to reach some people that everybody would say that in their interpretation of Scripture, in their interpretation of the law, they can have no part in the people of God. And God says, okay, Philip, let's blow this out of the water. So God sends Philip specifically to address this issue. And so here we have this guy excluded from every point. So imagine how the guy feels. He just, he's left Ethiopia. He wants to go find this God, worship this God who something's going on in here like it does with all of us. And what does he find? He's not wanted. He's not accepted. That whatever it is they have, it doesn't reach to him. It doesn't extend to include him. It always keeps him excluded. And think about it. This is such a stark story because there's no way that he can ever qualify if you stick with those old rules. Because his bits are gone. He is lacking necessary parts to qualify. Now, here's the issue. How many of us in our world are lacking necessary parts? I don't mean you've lost your penis and your testicles, okay? But lacking necessary parts in our lives 
that we would feel or be told by some people in the church, you do not qualify, you cannot qualify. Jesus has sent Philip to say, I'm breaking that apart. I want to show you that you cannot discriminate against people who are in a situation that under the old law would exclude them. Now I'm telling you, in that situation, there is a way that they can be included because of Jesus, because Jesus is wonderful. He changed the ball game. He's not a religious figure, he's a game changer. Jesus is a game changer and wants to change it in our lives. So, he's in his chariot and he's reading the Bible. He's doing his best, bless his heart. I'm surprised he hasn't said, want nothing to do with that Bible, want nothing to do with those people. But he's reading the Bible, he's hungry, he's looking for something beyond a religious connection. Now, I also want you to understand that um, later on in the book of Acts, in, in actually chapter 21, uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, was accused of bringing a brown-skinned Greek man into the temple precinct. He caused a riot. So this, this feeling about enforcing exclusion is rampant in, in that day when they're trying to start the church, and sadly it's crept into the church in our day. So, verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he said to Philip, why don't you hop upon the chariot and, uh, and talk to me? So... Philip hops up onto the chariot and now finds himself in a situation that must have raised questions in his own heart because he's thinking, I know all that stuff and I've enforced all that stuff and I've been part of that system and now what the heck do I do here? I feel like that most of the time now. <laughs> and um, anyway, the eunuch was reading a passage of scripture that's in Isaiah chapter 53. So, of course, it's the Old Testament because what a lot of believers in the church when they preach forget to tell you is that that early church, they didn't have the New Testament. So when they say the gospel in the New Testament, they didn't have the gospel in the New Testament. It was not written and it was certainly not published and it wasn't widely held. So most of what they were doing, they had to do by getting a revelation about all the stuff that was happening, the story of man. So they weren't doing the gospel working backwards. Oh, well, we're all going to heaven when we die. Now let's go back and see what we think Jesus fits in there. They did it coming forwards. What's the world about? Why all this? What happened? What, how was it fixed? How did God involve himself? Where did that lead us to? And they ultimately came forward to what they said, this is it. It was all about Jesus. It was all about Christ. This is the answer. This is where it all ends. So, Philip's in the chariot with the eunuch and he's reading this passage of scripture. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent... So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now here's the irony. Philip's turned up at just the right time, in just the right place, because this is what's ironic. The eunuch, probably became a eunuch, not by his own choice. 
But he was probably led like a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before a shearer is silent, not able to open his mouth, but humiliated and deprived of justice. He would never have children, not because he chose not to have children, but because he had been deprived just of the human justice to let him be who he was and to grow up to be a man and have a family. His justice had been taken away from him and he had been humiliated. And so he says ironically, so whoever this is, who can speak of his descendants? Because he realized I can't have any descendants. Whoever this is talking about couldn't have any descendants, right? So this guy's me. It's somebody who has been cut without them giving permission. It's somebody who will be scarred forever because of what others have done to them. It's someone who has been mutilated, not because of their choice, but because of the wickedness of others. So can you see the irony of the scripture is reading and why God says to Philip, now's the time, go now, okay? So Philip says, funny you should mention that. That's my words. Funny you should mention that. He says, from that very passage of Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now now think about it. Whatever Philip's telling him does not contain any of the elements that he has already been exposed to in his visit to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Bible that we preach, the God of Hebrew scriptures, the God of the Old Testament, whatever it was that he has learned. Philip says, what I've got to tell you is good and it's news. Or in other words, that simply brought you to where I can tell you there's something good about this and also that what I'm about to tell you is news. Or in other words, you're not going to hear it in that message But if you come through that message and you meet the one who was the the end of that message, you'll find this is actually news. Now, news is something that, that you've not heard yet. And what saddens me is that many people's understanding of the gospel is simply telling me something that you could have known before it became news in the form of Jesus. So when Jesus comes, he's saying, okay, we're drawing the line. All that stuff was important. All that stuff was showing you something. Hopefully that that's not how we live because all that does, it divides, it separates, it causes us to discriminate, it causes us to judge, it causes us to punish. So Jesus said, let's draw a line and now let's bring a message of inclusion and of life and forgiveness. So he's reading this, but he's thinking, okay, so this guy... Who's going to declare his generation? Because he's starting to tell him, well, this Jesus, he was cut. He was scarred for life. He couldn't have any children. He never married. He was doing a job, just like you're doing a job. But the wonderful good news is that now he has more children than he would have ever had if he hadn't been scarred in the first place because he's now telling the guy the good news is this. He may have been put in that position like you were put in that position, but life came. His life may have been taken from the earth, but another kind of life started to work in him and he starts to tell him of the generation of Christ, that we're here because the one who was cut off, who could have no descendants, we're his descendants so you imagine if you're the eunuch you're thinking so I'm disqualified I'm discriminated against I've got no bits and get this and I can't do a thing to change it I want you to grab that 
Because sometimes in the church we have been too judgmental about things that sometimes people try but they can't do a thing to change it. He could not recover what he had lost. Now that doesn't mean that therefore Philip was saying to make people eunuchs is okay. What he was acknowledging was in these situations sometimes we can do nothing about the situation that we are in, but grace goes beyond the things that we can do nothing about. Religion will tell you, but you have to do something about it. And sometimes we have to attend to things in our life and think, should I do something about it and can I? But sometimes there are things that were in us that were our scars that we cannot change. And so Philip tells him the good news about Jesus. And it says, as they travel along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? So I'm guessing Philip had told him when Jesus came, you know, and this, and John the Baptist, and afterwards, and Jesus said, baptize men in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Give them something they can grab onto to say, I'm a different person. I've got a new life. I'm coming out of this water that you were dunked into with a new life. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. I want you to take note of this, okay? Verse 36. I'll read it from up here. As they travel along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Tell me what the number of the next verse is. Come on, tell me somebody. What's the number of the previous verse? Okay, have we got any mathematicians in here? Right? There's a verse missing. Why? Because what has become verse 37 in some versions of the Bible was never in the original manuscript. The oldest manuscripts of the book of Acts do not contain what we know as verse 37 from the King James Version of the Bible. And so here's, here's how the story goes. Look, here is water. What? Uh, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, I want you to notice something. All that's happened there is the guy has said, I love this. This baptism thing, can I do it? And Philip says, Yeah, come on, let's do it. Fantastic. Now, Let me tell you what was added in in verse 37 in later manuscripts after the church had now begun to develop for three centuries and we were now deciding what we wanted the rules to be in the context of inclusion and who could have what. So this is verse 37 in some versions and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that that verse was manufactured because it really is not, you can check me out on this, it is not in any of the original manuscripts. That verse was manufactured later because we wanted to make the gospel about what you did to get what God has done. It was never there. Philip never said to the man, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. The guy said, there's water, let's get baptized. Philip said, brilliant, let's do it. Because what Philip's saying is you were disqualified, you can't fix it, but God loves you and God accepts you and if you want to be in partnership with him, God says yes. Philip never told him the things he had to fix or what he needed to become or not become. 
Oh, well, you know, of course, we've got a problem here because you're a eunuch and you can't change that. So I can't really baptize you because the religious law that I was under said you can have no part in the kingdom and you're only entitled to go into the outer court of the Gentiles. So really, I can't baptize you unless you change the color of your skin, unless you change your nationality, and unless you grow some bits. Now, I'm trying to get through to you with a lot of strength that unfortunately we have made the gospel to contain those elements that says unless and until you can't. But Philip in this encounter with this clearly disqualified man, which is what the point is of this story being in the Bible, says come on let's do it. He baptizes him. If it was communion, Philip would have said you want to sit at the communion table? Come on son, pull up a chair. There's a story that goes with this from uh, Brian McLaren's book about a new kind of Christianity where he was pastoring a church and after the little meeting had finished in their home, uh, there was a, uh, a, uh, um, a, I think he was a Kenyan guy who burst into tears at the end, a black Kenyan. And he burst into tears at the end and, and uh, it was, you know, sometimes those are a little uncomfortable when you're in close environment. So, so Brian McLaren went over to him and he said, can I, can I help you? You know, he said, what, what is the issue? And he said, oh, these are not tears of sadness, these are tears of joy. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, I am the son of my father's third wife. And he said, in my country, when the missionaries came and preached the gospel to us, they told my father that it was not right for him to have more than one wife. Now, this is a bit like the eunuch. It wasn't his fault. He hadn't suddenly decided, well, I really fancy having a few wives here. <laughs> Culturally, that was part of the culture. But they had made a ruling that if you were not the son of the first wife, you could not take communion. You could not share the sacrament of communion. This guy had been excluded all his life for no other reason than he was the son of the third wife. It is disgraceful and disgusting and it's why God said to Philip, Philip, this is nice, you're pushing the boundaries, but I want you to confront a different issue. That's why I said I relate to Philip. I feel like Philip right now in the desert. I've been pushed out from what I liked and what I was comfortable with to confront some things that make me uncomfortable, but I have to do it because it's the grace of God on my life. I'm on a Philip mission, and it'll cost you. You're usually alone and out in the desert. So Philip just took him down and baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Now, don't ask, because I don't... I believe it. I, um, I'll tell you why I believe it, because I have had experiences where I have been places uh, when I was still here. And I could describe to you every detail of the place where I went when I hadn't actually been. That's happened to me several times. Okay, weird, yeah. But, I would propose to you, if, if we're going to give any credence to the divine, any credence to God, and things like that aren't possible, then what, what's, you know, what's it all about anyway? So, Philip says, baptize him. Here we go. It's, a bit like the, it's, it's kind of like a, a, an old, um, who's the magician guy who walks off? Dynamo. 
It's kind of like Dynamo, you know, baptizes him and he comes up and he's thinking, this is amazing. When he looks around, he's gone. But I believe there's a point to that because Philip turned up at a place called Azotus and carried on, traveled about preaching the good news till he reached Caesarea. Here's what I want to propose to you. This guy has this phenomenal encounter. He's disqualified by all these means, but God's grace reaches out to him and he can't change the scars and the damage that are there. That will always say you're excluded, but suddenly the grace of God comes and says, no, my grace, my love is bigger than that. I invite you in. And he's baptized and he's come up in newness of life and then Philip's missing. Here's my question. Wouldn't you think... Did what I think just happened happen, or was it an illusion? Was it real, or did I imagine it? I believe that's where God often leaves us after an encounter. He leaves us to decide, was that an illusion, or did something very real just happen to me? Because for every one of us, Philip's stuff is happening to us. Like the Ethiopian unit, we're disqualified, but stuff is happening. And then we're left thinking, did that really, was that an illusion? Did that really happen? What I'm pleased about, it seems very evident from history that this Ethiopian thought, man, that was amazing. I don't know where the heck Philip went, I have no idea. But he went back to Ethiopia and the spread of the good news about Jesus started in that tip of Africa in Ethiopia, rising up into the continent, which even today is still feeling massive, massive repercussions from the wave of the truth of the gospel of Jesus that reached out. So, I just want to finish by showing how fascinated I am with, with the Bible as it stands. Forget the arguments of, you know, Old Testament, God this, God that, God the other. Because I wanted to show you how fascinating it actually is when you read it through the right lens. Because the guy was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, right? When you read about the guy with no descendants and realized this is Christ. This, this, this is Christ. This is the story of Jesus coming and the same thing happening. But now he has a hope beyond the problem. He has life. He has multiplication. He has blessing beyond his problem because he met the Jesus of the Bible. Three chapters later in Isaiah 56, in case you wonder about God's intention, it says this. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Okay? If you're reading through the wrong lens, those are words of judgment, that God's righteousness is going to be revealed in judgment and that you have to do what is right. But if you read through this lens, it's like, what did the Ethiopian eunuch have to do? He had to do what was right. What was right to say, this is brilliant. Can I be baptized? Yeah, absolutely. That's what he's doing right. He's doing right to say, do you know what? This is pretty awesome and I'm going to give it a go in my life. It says, blessed is the man who does this the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now again, if you're reading through one lens, that's a huge problem because it says, don't do anything on Sundays, right, in our modern version, because if you desecrate the Lord's day and don't keep your hand from doing wrong things, you're going to be cursed because we're on the judgment thing again. But you see, Chris mentioned it last week. Did God make 
man for the Sabbath or the Sabbath for man? So, so did God create a rule and then say, I'm going to make man to keep the rule? Or did God say, I want these men to understand something, which is this, right? The Sabbath simply means the seventh. Which was the last day of the week in creation? The seventh. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the seventh was the last day. What happened on the last day of creation? Nothing. It says God rested. Why did God rest? Because whatever it was about was absolutely finished. Now the wonderful thing is, when you look at Jesus, and you look at his crucifixion on the sixth day of the week, and then you look at the narrative of Christ in the tomb, nothing happens on the seventh day, but on the first day of the week, he rises from the dead. Why does nothing happen on the seventh day? Because he was resting, because just like in Genesis, this is a creation story, it was finished. And Jesus' last words, tied in perfectly with the Genesis narrative, because Jesus, as he breathed his last, said, it is finished. Or in other words, the recreation, the new creation, the new covenant, the new acceptance, right? The new way, the new order, it's finished. It's done. So what does he mean here? Blessed is the man who, holds this, who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it. That means who says, I have come to a place where I know in the context of my life, in the presence of God, it's finished. It's done. I'm accepted, and I keep my hand from doing the evil that would suggest that actually it's not finished, okay? So listen to this. I'm sorry, I could preach this for hours. Forgive me. But verse 3, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord. Oh, hang on a minute. So, so three chapters later, we're talking about foreigners who've bound themselves to the Lord. How many of you would think this Ethiopian eunuch fulfills that description? Let no foreigner who bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, what does it mean, who go to church on Sunday? To the eunuchs who keep the truth that in Christ what we needed to give us the acceptance that we would never have because we couldn't change our condition to the one who keeps that Sabbath who chooses what pleases me which is to accept that you have been accepted because it is complete and you've been forgiven who holds fast to my covenant the covenant that promises that there is acceptance for you when you can't change who you are but you have been brought in because of the Sabbath the finished work of Jesus he says to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name now where couldn't the unit go? who couldn't he be? but now God is saying you need to catch this I'm going to give that very person, the dark-skinned Ethiopian eunuch who is excluded, I am going to give him a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. How interesting when the whole business was about being cut off in very practical means. Listen, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, we've explained that, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. That's Mount Zion. In, and give them joy in my house of prayer. 
So the people you thought were out and could never be in, God said, not only are they in, but I'm going to give them joy in my house of prayer in the very condition that they are in, that they're not able to change, but in my grace, I'll give them a place in my house. He says, these I'll bring to my holy mount, give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. You can come to the table. You can be baptized. I'll give them a place, God is saying, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, what did Jesus say when he went into the temple and overturned the tables? My father's house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Why did he say it? He was referring to Isaiah 56 because the eunuchs and the foreigners and the men of color and the women of color were not allowed in because they could not qualify. They were excluded by things they could not change. But when Jesus said, this is my father's house and it's a house of prayer, was pointing all those people back to Isaiah 56. And his problem was with those who were trying to make a business out of the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Those who were selling sacrifices and changing money. Don't let the church become a business that's trading in people's lives. It has to become the place of grace where this place is the house of prayer for all nations. And what is that prayer? Thank you that we're in the inner court, that we have a memorial, that we're known by you, that we are accepted in your sight, that we can offer offerings on your altar, that our sacrifices are brought before you, that we can be totally in relationship with you. So let me finish off. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. What a fantastic statement this is. God's saying, hey, you religious, get off your high horse. Tear down the walls. Take the roof off. Get rid of the curtain that you've stitched up again. Stop pointing out some sins while leaving others. Stop criticizing and condemning and say who can come in and who can't come in. Because the whole issue of God taking the time to send Philip to meet this eunuch in the middle of the desert was to give us a mandate to say whatever is in a person's life, it does not exclude them from the goodness and the grace of God, from the table of the Lord, from being baptized in their weakness saying, I am this and I don't think I can change it but God says but you can come to me and know that whatever it was it's finished and I'll give you descendants I'll give you fruit I'll make your life work this is the grace of God this is the gospel I'm all about redeeming this is the journey that we are on as me as a Philip you as a Philip in this house and these are the people that we are going to meet and help and bless and say do you know what God is bigger than our discriminatory mind and our judgments. And we have to let the grace of God be the grace of God. So, if in here tonight you felt, I'm disqualified, I'm excluded, I don't have the necessary bits, you're wrong. You are totally, 100% wrong. There's not a single one of us in here that can find a way to disqualify ourselves from this grace, that remember what we said about it, that he preached to him not the old news with the new saviour, he preached to him the good news about Jesus the Christ. I offer you the good news about Jesus the Christ today. 
I invite you to accept your inness. Right? I'm not asking you to come in. I'm asking you to accept your inness. This Ethiopian could have been dumb enough to say, okay, I don't accept my inness, so I'm just going to go on my way. But he said, I'll accept my inness. I I simply want you to accept your inness. And God will help you figure out the rest from there when you know the goodness of his grace. And may I also say as well, if any of you want to be baptized in the light of what we've talked about tonight, because you say, I want to celebrate my inness, and this is the way I'll do it. We'll set something up, see Maggie, and we'll we'll baptize you, because I can see reasons in this to baptize people. You know, and we're saying, well, you don't qualify, so we're going to baptize you. (laughs) You haven't got what it takes, so we'll baptize you. Because that's the resurrection life. That's the... That's, the, that's what Jesus is all about. I, I apologize to you for, for what some of you have been fed. And, and, and if it's by me, I, I apologize a billion times more. May have been fed not to point you to this Jesus. But tonight, I point you to this Jesus. Just like Philip did on that road. I point you to the good news about the Christ. And invite you to celebrate your inness. In Jesus' name. And if you've, if you've not done it, it I, I like the way the, the, the eunuch said, there's water here, let me do something just to, you know, just to say, wow, I'm in, brilliant. If you need to do something tonight, if you just need to say, thank you, God, that I'm in, thank you for your forgiveness, your life, your acceptance, just do it in your heart and receive it. And it's yours tonight. So just stand with me just for a moment. God, we we just celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate the wonderful good news of Jesus. We declare our loathing of that that is not this good news. Everything that is not that message, everything that has not released that message, we declare our loathing of that. Forgive us. And as we stand here tonight in our various states of beings with various things and some in here tonight Lord are just feeling I I, I can't change this I'm like the eunuch I can't change it I I just thank you for your grace that flows right now that says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you I'm with you always even to the end of the age that I love you and you're mine and you belong to me as much as anybody as you think qualifies to belong, you belong to me just the same. You have a memorial in the house of God. Your sacrifices are accepted. You have a place. And get used to it, folks, because if we believe Isaiah 56, it says there's even more categories of people who we thought are not in. Who Isaiah 56 says, I've got a lot more of these who you never thought were in. So I'll ease you in gently as we begin to add to the kingdom of God. So Father, thank you for your grace in this house tonight. I pray no one will leave without a sense of the warmth of your presence in their own heart and their own life and the reality of who you are and the goodness of your existence in us and for us. We honour you, Father, Son and Spirit tonight and just let you have your way in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We're done. Enjoy. Awesome. Enjoy your pillar special.